Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Bitcoin soaring past 31k as this week turns into an institutional week. A flurry of new ETFs are filed by some of the world's most connected and well-known financial players. What do they know that we don't? We discuss all this and more in today's Collective Shift weekly recap, actionable insights, and a breakdown into the crypto market, all in under 30 minutes just for you. As always, we'll start with the market update with our research analyst, Matt, followed by the financial players and their ETFs. Matt, what does the market look like? Excellent. As you touched on, big week for Bitcoin. It actually soared up past 31,000, almost hit 31,500, which that was enough to get it past a 12-month high. So, yeah, it's been a, a pretty rough time for crypto overall, but you'd be surprised to know we're actually on, on track for sort of, you know, out of the six months of 2023, we're on track for five of those months being green for Bitcoin. Um, it was a really, really nice, nice moment last week seeing it get up that high. It's slightly retraced, so about, you know, thir- uh, 30,500 at the time recording, but it's enough for Bitcoin to be up a whopping 16% over the past week. ETH, the second largest cryptocurrency, is at about 1,900, and that is up 11% for the week. So again, that similar sort of story we've been talking about consistently where Bitcoin dominance, so Bitcoin dominance just means what is the value of Bitcoin as a proportion of all of the cryptocurrencies out there, the thousands and thousands of them that are out there. Well, Bitcoin, as of last week, has actually crossed over to over 50%. So one cryptocurrency accounts for, you know, more than 50% now of the total value of all cryptocurrencies out there. So that's a very significant development. You've got that percentage, which is now at 51%. That is now at a two-year high uh, as well. So very notable development there. Oh, that's incredible, man. So I guess the question we should be asking ourselves is what kind of factors really driving Bitcoin's price at the moment and, and its dominance? Like, do these really suggest like a, an uptrend that we should be looking out for? Or should we be prepared for um, more potential volatility? I generally think, you know, as institutional adoption does increase, they, they do buy Bitcoin they do buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. They don't go ahead and go to coin market cap and look at the thousands uh, crypto and go and buy those ones. I generally don't think so. They will stick to the heavyweights such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. And of course, in times of economic uncertainty, they do see Bitcoin as digital gold. You know, just like we do a collective shift here, as we always say, a store of value that can act as a hedge against inflation. Uh, I think so, Leon, like mostly for, again, other cryptocurrencies there, a lot of less volume is being traded that it doesn't take as much, you know, money to move these prices of these, you know, non-Bitcoin, non-Ethereum cryptocurrencies. And I think a big reason for this increase in Bitcoin adoption or dominance lately has been the really, you know, under, underperformance of altcoins. We've seen those filings that we've talked about recently with all the regulators claiming that all the, these other alternative cryptocurrencies are in fact securities, um, which that really tanks their prices. And then therefore, I suppose you saw Bitcoin as a proportion of the market really increased. I can't really see that changing anytime soon. Historically, over you know the decade plus that this market has existed, Bitcoin has always sort of led uh, the whole market into the next sort of bull cycle. And that's sort of what we're seeing here. But I still think we're, it's a bit of time ahead until until I, I suppose we see investors decide to sort of, you know, rotate profits into all these other altcoins, which we typically see. So more volatility ahead for altcoins. Uh, Bitcoin, I think, is, is relatively more safe. 
Yeah, well, nice, nicely said, man. And I, like that's the same thought I have as well. Um, and of course, it's a small boat in a giant ocean. Expect volatility. That's what I always say. Now, Matt, okay. I think we should move on into our next big topic of the podcast here. There has been a flurry of ETFs being filed in the US. These guys are really interested in Bitcoin now, right? What, what's the current news being like? What's the current news look like? Yeah, we saw uh, last week we you know, focused on one of the biggest news for 2023 so far was the filing of an ETF by BlackRock, world's largest asset manager, the world's largest ETF issuer. Uh, they filed for their first ever Bitcoin ETF amid this gloomy period for crypto. And, you know, that's been enough to sort of, you know, be the lead domino, if you will. And we've seen in the past sort of seven to 10 days, just like uh, several, maybe four to five, um, you know, very prominent, you know, established you know, asset managers, you know, mostly outside of crypto. Um, they have also now followed up by filing an ETF. In my opinion, a lot of these are just sort of, I suppose from a game theory standpoint, like it almost just makes the most sense to just copy paste your last ETF. So in many of these cases, a lot of these, you know, firms like Wisdom Tree, Bitwise, they've previously like attempted, you know, multiple times they have, to, yeah. to file and then they've been knocked back. So for them, I think a lot of them, to be honest, probably just copy and pasted their, their previous one, maybe a few adjustments, but I think it's really just to, from a game theory standpoint, it's like you may as well just you know, put your application back in just in case something is actually going on here. BlackRock maybe knows something that all the others don't know. Uh, so I think that's sort of the copycat mentality that we've seen last week. Interestingly enough, I still think that it kind of has driven the rally. It, I think it's just more the repetition of all these ETFs being, being you know, approved, uh, being applied for or filed for, have made headlines in, you know, non-crypto publications like Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, I think that, you know, just repetition has almost driven the price higher, even though, in my opinion, most of these are pretty much just copycats of old ones. So an interesting sort of behavior that we've seen. Um, and it certainly, yeah, sparked a lot of conversation in sort of the traditional mainstream media and the traditional sort of business news. Yeah, awesome, man. And I know we did kind of uh, um, talk about this last week as well with BlackRock proposing their ETF. And since then, every, every other company wants to get in as well. But I guess the question we should be asking is, uh, how could this uh, increased institutional interest in crypto really affect the stability and the potential returns of crypto investments? I just generally think that as respected financial institutions, the big boys, as they come in and enter the crypto space, it adds legitimacy to the entire market. We have been waiting for legitimacy. So crypto isn't associated with scams or Silk Road or you know drugs or, or any of this sort of stuff. We need legitimacy in the space. As well as uh, the increased institutional adoption can really expedite the process of establishing a clearer regulatory environment for crypto. While this can lead to really short-term volatility, it gives us clearer regulation, which generally for the uh, benefits us in the long term. Matt, anything else you would think to answer this question on how could this uh, increase institutional interest in crypto affect stability and returns? Yeah, I think the largest point there, yeah, Leon, is, is just trust and reputation, especially from, you know, a lot, the older demographics have, you know, vast majority of the wealth out there. They trust a lot of these, these names that are filing for these ETFs, such as BlackRock. Um, and, you know, I think they, they really use that as a proxy for validation of an asset class. So I think also maybe just from a legal standpoint, you can get now entities, if these ETFs are approved, that will now be able to get sort of direct, more direct exposure to, to Bitcoin, which actually affects 
sort of the demand supply dynamics of Bitcoin that we talked about last week. And that sort of previously hasn't been the case in, in some, in some sort of profiles of investors. So yeah, that's, that's by far the biggest takeaway there is just, you know, more trust, more validation as you sort of rightly put there, Leon. We do need definitely need more trust in crypto so far. Um, so uh, we'll move on to another uh, kind of big news topic that has happened over the last week. And I'll be covering this myself here. So EDX, I'm not sure if the Collective Shift membership or if you're listening to us, we talked about EDS quite a while ago. So it's a new US crypto exchange backed by institutional giants, right? And I have the um, article here so I can bring it up for you guys to see. Give me one second. And there we go. So EDX was actually announced last September. We discussed it really significantly with collective ship members at that time. Basically, they are an institutional only exchange. So Matt, myself, you probably listening to this, we don't have access to this, unfortunately. This is only for the big boys. It's backed by some of the biggest names in traditional finance, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, and Citadel. These guys are well-known players in the financial institution system. Um, so basically what they're going to be listing so far on EDX is only four cryptocurrencies. And now this is significant. So I think we should actually discuss the four cryptos in general. First off is Bitcoin and Ethereum. These are two, you know, well-known cryptocurrencies. Of course, they would be uh, included in their listings. Now, the second two, I would say are actually quite questionable at the moment, Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash. Litecoin, of course, does have a foothold in institutions. Uh, they're really aware of it, but Bitcoin Cash, I'm not so uh, happy for them to be covering Bitcoin Cash in this giant uh, institutional investment only um, vehicle. Now, it, what they want to do, they want to do something really separate, uh, really different here. They really want to separate the trading and the custody accounts on these exchanges. Now, this has been uh, uh, drawn scrutiny from FTX as well as um, Binance, where they've been accused of doing this, you know, yet to be uh, proven in court, where what happened was that uh, the exchanges would be putting your custody and your trading accounts in the same basket. So you don't really know which one's which, but they really want to add more professionalism in the space by separating these two trading accounts and custody accounts, which is really a good thing, right? It just adds to the uh, uh, security and the complexity as well as professionalism in the space. Now, Matt, I want to pose a question to us here. Now, this is a conservative approach. They're only listing four tokens, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. How do these just listing of this conservative approach of these four tokens, how could this really impact the market um, and the value of these four cryptocurrencies listed on the platform? What do you have? A, what do you think about that? I think in terms of market sort of perspective, I think, again, like more another repetition of, of this like high, you know, high end sort of exchange institutional only again, being conservative. I think it really, um, it really, again, like re-emphasizes or might teach or, or highlight to market participants just how much more risk the alternative cryptocurrencies carry, which I think for, for a lot of people, people I talk to, you know, you know, new members, just, you know, people in the public. You know, they always tend to go into the altcoins first. It's a very common sort of mistake that happens time and time again. Um, and it's just sort of, you know, the risk, the uncertainty from a regulatory standpoint of what will happen to these altcoins. Um, you know, at times, I don't think the market really prices that accordingly. And I think this is probably another example of the ones that are probably more, sh have more surety or certainty regarding, you know, their status and their, you know, that they've got the tick of approval, so to speak. I think that again, will put more capital into those, those four, namely Bitcoin and Ether. Um, and again, you might see that the dominance of those two really just 
like really consolidate and they'll yes yeah skyrocket and then just be i guess more of just a, a real you know certainty in terms of just the future outlook of them that's at least how i'm sort of seeing you know the significance of this conservative listing of these four yeah, that's right. And, and I, I don't want to double down on that and say that EDX could really bring more institutional investors into crypto market space. And this is conservative approach that other exchanges might be following. And if it's a proven, uh, if they get into a proven track record, other exchanges will say, okay, then we're a little bit safer in listing Bitcoin, listing Ethereum, listing Litecoin, and unfortunately also listing uh, Bitcoin cash. So. We'll just have to leave it at that, ladies and gentlemen. If we do uh, see this exchange starting to become very popular, don't worry. We will be covering it for you so you're on top of it. Now, Matt, uh, we want to pivot as well to some project news worth paying attention to. I know we have had quite a bit of project news coming out this week. What do you have to share with uh, our listeners out there? Yeah, for sure. Just as we had sort of institutions, adoption as sort of the theme in terms of industry news and market sensitive sort of news last week. Uh, in terms of project news, like the overwhelming theme was just layer two or, you know, solutions that are building with layer two technology. Uh, quick definition for those, all our new listeners out there. Layer two, it's basically just, you know, scaling solutions that are built to sort of you know alleviate the pressure that is on what are known as layer one blockchains such as well bitcoin and ethereum they you know historically have struggled with when a lot of people are using them at once the fees can get to really unsustainable levels they become expensive to use uh so therefore we've got these layer two solutions that are trying to essentially just hey i will get a bunch of activity on my network being a layer two and then i'll you know periodically just batch them all up and post them to the layer one taking a lot of stress off the layer one um, we got a lot more resources on them at Collective Shift, but that's sort of the high level. So 2023, they've been like arguably the story of 2023 has just been more building and more, you know, launches on top of layer two solutions. Uh, so last week, even we had, you know, several or a few sort of announcements and developments. So Zora, which has, you know, been out for, you know, a few years now. Yeah. So that's, Z-O-R-A. So they're trying to become, you know, the go-to place just for like creatives, artists to like interact with NFTs and, you know, launch them and manage them. They built their own sort of Zora network, which is, you know, using technology that a layer two solution provides. So they're building with, with something called the OP stack. Binance is also working with something called the OP stack. And last week, you know, they announced that they're going to be building a layer two solution. So again, what's sort of the value proposition? Like what's the point of any of this? It sort of just comes back to cheaper fees, really. Like there are other reasons, but ultimately it always just comes back to making it easier, easier for people just like you and me to just use the network for, uh, for, you know, it's not costing us an arm and a leg to just, you know, transact and, and just do things on the network. Finally, here we've got, uh, Coinbase. So they are also, you know, notably sort of the biggest name that is working with this technology they are getting close to launching uh what they're calling base which is a another sort of layer two network uh i actually went to you know a local meetup at upside upside dow in uh in cremorne in melbourne last week so coinbase held like a, a meetup there's about 70 people there for the base like for all things base so they sort of presented on it ex explained what like what it is why it matters uh, and they actually, you know, said that it should be live within the next the next couple of months, which I hadn't yet heard a deadline on that. So that was the first time I heard that. So again, takeaway from 2023 is that these things 
uh, now actually they've been building for a while and they're all starting to come out, which is very exciting for people who love all the altcoin space. Yeah, it's super exciting. And I'm excited for Base as well to launch. They did have a Sydney meetup as well, but I unfortunately missed it. So I'm going to have to uh, rely on you to keep us updated on Base and what's happening there. Um, and of course, we will cover it at Collective Shift. But I've got a question for all of you listeners out there. I mean, uh, and, and Matt, for yourself and I as well, should really should people really be considering investing in NFTs and any of the other assets related to these layer two platforms? Or really, is it too early to gauge, like, um, to accurately gauge their potential for returns? I generally think investing in NFTs just remain really high risk. They're a high risk maneuver. I, I think of it as a leveraged play on the base chain itself. So your NFT will likely only do well if this layer two also takes off. There's an influx of users and they all want to come and, you know, just co-mingle in the entire base chain. It is also, it is generally a good way to diversify your portfolio, but you have to be sure, not financial advice, of course, you have to be sure that it is a proper allocation in diversification in your portfolio. Like, is it, is the NFT worth 50% of your portfolio? Then probably not a good idea. Of course, uh, that's up to you. We aren't financial advisors for you. But Matt, what do you think about this, about uh, NFTs and layer twos? Yeah, that was a good breakdown. Like, let's just say Zora in this example. Like, yeah, okay, sure. They won't be the go-to place for NFTs. They've been on layer one for a while. Now they're launching a layer two. You know, does that mean that NFTs all of a sudden are like, you know, a really much more promising sort of investment prospect? Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, absolutely not. I think definitely sort of short term, I don't think it really changes much from the investment landscape. What yeah. I'm personally looking out for um, is just will that increase the amount of sort of, you know, usage and types of things that you can do with NFTs? Uh, if I see proof of that, I will, you know, zoom in even more, uh, to focus on it. But for now, I'm just watching from the sidelines because, yeah, I don't really think it's going to be affecting demand for NFTs, you know, no, super, you know, imminently. Uh, but some really good points there, Leon, even the layer twos, right? Like, yeah, cool. We, we've seen a lot of adoption building on layer twos. You know, does that mean that the layer two tokens like are there for you know, yeah. like a really you know promising investment, for example? Um, again, like personally, I'm similar approach to NFTs just then. I'm very closely tracking activity on them, usage of these layer two networks. If it's consistently growing, like without uh, notably without different incentives, because that can sometimes, you know, manipulate sort of the data. Um, you know, that's when I will, you know, zoom in closer and actually consider investing in some of these layer two tokens like if you just want exposure to the entire sort of layer two space and you think okay it's all going great but i don't have time to actually focus on any given layer two well then you, you have to think okay where are all of these layer twos putting their data back to in this case it's ethereum yeah so you could you know make an argument that that would then you know bolster the value proposition and investment case for eth so different ways you can play it but yeah again Really just want to emphasize the story of 2023 so far has been layer twos. Yep. And Ethereum scaling solutions. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. Awesome, man. Good, good uh, feedback there. Now, Matt, let's move on to our last section here, which is a rapid fire or anything that happened in the market over the last week that is appreciative or uh, not appreciated uh, anyway. So, so Matt, what do you have for us, mate? What, what's happened this week for you? Yeah, one that I really didn't see um, much discussion about. Everyone was excited about price, the ETF filings, the launch of EDX, things like that. Um, one that I saw was SAP. So they're probably one of the biggest you know businesses in the world that you haven't heard of because they're purely B2B. 
Um, they're just about every large company in the world uses their B2B infrastructure um, just for all things, internal systems, things like that. They're out of Germany and they are starting to use USDC. So that's like one of the largest stable coins in the whole crypto space. Uh, and they are announced last week that they're using USDC to test cross-border payments. Uh, and they, yeah, have integrated with Circle, which is, you know, one of the managers of sort of USDC. So this announcement, importantly here, uh, SAP, you know, a representative said that, you know, a quote here is that the hassle for many small and mid-sized enterprises of sending money overseas can be solved with digital money and blockchain technology. So again, recognizing as we talked about, you know, many times we try to sort of, you know, promote and prop up the value proposition of blockchain. This is yet another sort of established company that's going like, hey, cross-border remittances is just, you know, the, the average punter, the average person just gets, you know, just gets robbed essentially of trying to send money to their families, uh, you know, their friends overseas. Uh, we can do this better with blockchain technology. We're going to test it here with USDC. Um, and I think if this space is going to be around in 10, 20, 30 years, we need things like this to, you know, be coming out and, and companies testing with it rather yeah. than it being more speculative, with, which is what it is at the moment. Yeah, definitely. We need that kind of fundamental building so that we can survive the next 10 years and then thrive later on down the road. Well, that's awesome, man. That's good. Uh, thanks for updating the Collective Shift membership there. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead with mine as well. I did find a new resource and a new website. I think it's actually pretty cool. So I wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, so this one is called The Value Prop. It's a new website. I think the guys behind Polygon, uh, Polygon Labs will actually uh, proposed it or have implemented it, right? So it's mm -hmm. called The Value Prop. It's on the screen now. And I'll leave the links in the description for you. But basically, it kind of features the numerous use cases that crypto may have across many, many verticals, including sustainability, humanitarian work, education, and a whole bunch more. So as you can see here, this is a pretty nice looking website at Swells, but you can go ahead and look at all the different, uh, um, uh, the scope that it does look at, um, in applications on networks anywhere in the world. So I'm gonna leave the link in the description. I think it's pretty cool. You can look up a whole bunch of different stuff I just think it's really cool, Matt. So I just wanted to share that with the Collective Shift membership. So make sure you take a look in the description. I love that, Leon. Yeah, I think I was listening to one of the lawyers, I think from Polygon, who put this together and led the charge here. And, you know, she said that they're going to be updating this, you know, like they're going to keep iterating on it because all the feedback they've gotten has just been, you know, yeah, immense and they've been really, you know, pleased with what they've seen. Policymakers, regulators is going to be brilliant for them. And even just the general public, just, yeah, oh, there's the Australian Art Pole. Yeah, that's Open right. That's right. There yeah. We, we had well. a small yeah. partnership with a Australian AO, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. Um, but yeah, just ge just generally, people from the public eventually being able to point them to this this website, which just you know for now it does a great job of highlighting different projects and examples, hundreds of projects that are using blockchain to you know improve upon either an existing process or in fact bring a whole new process that doesn't exist without blockchain technology. Um, I can see this this website you know even developing a bit more where they maybe dive deep into you know emergency aid for example or gps mapping and they might do a whole sort of you know either test case or um you know what are those reviews where case studies you know i think yeah that's right about i think they talked about doing case studies to you know give give just you know the general the average person just a bit more understanding about you know cool there's all these words buzzwords and all that but how did this how did blockchain technology actually 
help you achieve what you wanted to do. So I'm really, really love how this his use case database has come out. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll definitely drop it in the links below, as you said, Leon. Definitely. And it's been actually pretty uh, interesting to go through and look at all these kind of use cases or test cases of different uh, products that have been launched in crypto. And you don't realize it. you look day to day to day or weekly as we do, and you just miss things that happen uh, sometimes across the world and they are doing pretty well with their, you know, initiative. And I'm just in the education use case here and you've got BlockSert wallets, Layer 3, Nukes, DreamDAO, uh, uh, Rabbit Hole, and even Questbook. Some of these I've used myself. And so I should go and research some of these other ones. I, I just think it's pretty cool. But yeah, that leaves us to the end of this podcast, my friends. And if you're listening out there as well, make sure you leave a like and subscribe for us. That is a wrap for this week. If you're looking for more insights, make sure you see our revamped weekly Collective Shift newsletter, providing free weekly insights every Friday. Subscribe at collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. That's collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. We'll see you there. See you, folks. Thank you.